0: We're really excited about tonight. You guys sounded great. Thank you so much for your hard work and your preparation. Betsy, I think they're ready. We are getting into, uh, our second Sunday of the Advent calendar and this, uh, series that we're doing looking at the, the cradle, uh, or the creation cradle cross and crown. This week we're going to be looking at the uh, cradle But last week, we looked at creation, and we talked about the prophet's candle, and the candle of hope, and we realized that anticipation and waiting has always been a part of God's plan, the prophetic plan that he was going to say this is going to happen, and that we're to wait for his timing in it, and the promises of God, of the great hope that he promised is, and we learned that. That hope is confident expectation that this will occur, and so that's Christmas is about. It was a promise of something great to happen that hope would be fulfilled. Now, the last of the Old Testament prophets is really found in the New Testament, and John the Baptist's dad was uh, Zechariah. And on Wednesday night, we were studying the prayers of. Christmas, and we read about Zacharias and Elizabeth and how they were childless, and God promised them a son, John the Baptizer. And it's interesting to see what what Zacharias has to say about this whole thing of promise and hope in the future. And I'd like to just turn us to this, and it's in Luke chapter 1, and just listen to his words. And this is Zechariah saying, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from of old salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hates us, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of of peace. As we look, and we look at this season that we're in, and we look at each of the weeks, we're looking at what the prophets said from creation on about this promised Messiah, the first promise being in Genesis, and then we see now being fulfilled in the birth of the Lord Jesus, and then next week we're going to look at the cross, and then we're going to look at the crown that following week, but we're getting the big pictures of God's redemptive story here. From creation all the way to the kingdom, we're focusing today on the the Lord Jesus being born in the being laid in the cradle as the way of peace. And as we do this, one of the things that happens when we look at the Christmas story is we we narrow it to here, and that's why I've expanded it so that we understand the full ramification from Genesis to Revelation that the Christmas story is unfolding. And we see the plan of God. And the problem that sometimes happens is we see this, the lovely cradle, the manger where the babe is laid, and we see the baby, and it's a wonderful time, and we can get focused on just the baby. And I'm not saying the Christ baby. We say, oh, the baby, and I remember my kids, and then I think about, the enjoyment with them and all that. And it takes off, or the focus off, what Christ did by coming to earth. And we're going to look at that today. So we want to recognize what it took to come to earth, but keep it in the big picture of story. So we're going to look at understanding Christmas, looking at the cradle. And as we've lit the second candle This is the Bethlehem candle of peace. I'm going to focus that uh, as a theme. So if you would please stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. A familiar account to many of you, this Christmas account. But let me read from it. And in honor of reading God's word, we'll stand. Starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. I'm sorry. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Please be seated, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So as we look at this text, and in what Jonathan had shared earlier, we're going to look at Bethlehem prophecy and the significance of that. Then we're going to look at what it really meant for Jesus to become human. And then we're going to look at his brokering of peace. That he was going to be our peace. So looking at Bethlehem, it's a small village just about six miles from Jerusalem. So it's a suburb of Jerusalem in our terms. In those days it was a little less sparse and so it was remote. And so they go from uh, Nazareth down to uh, Bethlehem to be registered, which is a journey of about 65 miles from Nazareth to uh, Bethlehem. And so if you think if you were to go from here to Greenville, that's about that far, but try doing it with a pregnant woman and a donkey and walk in it. So that's what they were, and the terrain was not that... Good, and the road went up to Jerusalem and then down from Jerusalem. So it was a challenging journey for him. But it's about six miles south of Jerusalem. And it's the ancestral home of David, the shepherd king. He becomes very important in the story because we're going to see about a lineage. And in Luke 2, 4, we read that that they went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. So keep that in mind. That's going to be an important thing. Now, in Micah 4.8 and in Micah 5.2, the passage that Jonathan read, these both prophesy about Bethlehem being significant. And it was going to be important to this Messiah. And we just sang about Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew rendering of the word anointed one. In Greek, it's Christ. So if you were to say it in Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach, is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So that's a little different. Sometimes you'll see those terms. What's the difference between Messiah and Christ? One's Hebrew, one's Greek. Now, Jacob buried Rachel there. Boaz and Ruth were from there. Obed and Jesse and David were from Bethlehem. So it's important in the lineage of David. We see that um, uh, Ruth, the book of Ruth and Boaz, that's in the lineage of David, which goes on to the lineage of Christ. Now, one thing that Bethlehem was known for were the fields around it, the grazing fields for the uh, sacrificial uh, lambs that would be taken to the temple. They were raised by Levitical priests and uh, the sheep for the sacrifice in the temple. In fact, in uh, Micah 4, 8, you'll see the term tower of the flock. And that refers to a tower that was located called Migdal Eder, in in Bethlehem, in which the priest would come down from Jerusalem, they'd go up and just survey how the uh, sheep are going, without getting uh, dirty themselves and being un- and being defiled by walking among the sheep and all of that. So they would use that tower. But Bethlehem also means house of bread. That's technically what, then if you were to break down the word, what it means, house of bread. And it is an interesting that Jesus said. I am the bread of life. The very sustenance of our life, our spiritual life, and what life gives, uh, the significance of life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is that bread, that sustenance to us. So isn't that interesting that He's, the bread of life comes from the house of bread in the town of Bethlehem. Now let's just take a look at what becoming human was all about when, and, and wrap our heads around it because it's quite complex. Now, in Luke 2, 7, it says, And she gave birth to a firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Very familiar with that. Uh, the firstborn son, she was, the scriptures tell us that Mary was a virgin, so it's important that now Luke is stipulating that. This is the firstborn. And she wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in the manger. There was they had no place to stay in Bethlehem. You're familiar with the story. There was no room for them in the inn, and they laid him in a manger. Now, two things, and we're going to look at this next week. When they wrap him in the cloths, that was a common practice by these Levitical shepherds to protect those newborn lambs when they were born. Why? Because they couldn't have spot or blemish. They couldn't break a leg. A bigger lamb standing on a baby lamb could break. It's like leg and then render it unacceptable for temple use. And so they wrapped him. And swaddling is a very common procedure in when, when you have a baby, childbirth, one of the first things they do, they like to wrap the baby up and it gives him that security of being in the mother's womb. So it's very common. But wrapping with the cloth, when the angels will tell the shepherds, and we'll look at the six week, you'll see him lying in a manger, wrapped. That's going to be significant to them. And as we said, laid them in a manger. They were humble. One of the beauties of the Christmas story is the humility of Christ. You know, when the wise men come from the east and they're going to look for Jesus, where did they first go? But to the capital. Where else would a king be born? But in the capital city. And they found out through the prophets that no, he'd be born in Bethlehem. So they made their way to Bethlehem. So here, him born king of the Jews was going to be born in a lowly estate in Bethlehem. And so, that forever removes the excuse, well, you're rich and you don't understand my plight. You're out of touch. He came to his own and he Understood the challenges of living life, the challenges of being poor, the challenges of growing up in uh, poverty. So he understands us. And then it tells us in the Matthew account of the birth of Christ, it uses the phrase, God with us, Emmanuel. God with us. Emmanuel. In the Hebrew, it will have the E. It's Emmanuel. So you'll see it both ways, don't you? And sometimes it's, it's a little confusing. Is it Emmanuel or Emmanuel? One's Hebrew, one's Greek. And that's why I just point out to you. But God with us. And so when we see that picture of the babe in the manger and recognize that God has entered the human race, which he created, and we see the humility comes in the lowliest state of a child, I scarce can take it in. And I hope that as you wonder about this Christmas story, that you recognize what the Lord did. Now, when we talk about God taking on human flesh, that's the word, the incarnation, it's literally uh, in flesh. And he's putting on human flesh, but also he um, was unique. This, This act of his taking on human flesh is unique in all world religions. No other religion on the face of the earth promotes its founder or creator as being God in the flesh, taking on human flesh. It's unprecedented in history. There's never been an example of this. And I challenge you to think about the unimaginableness of it. And I just want to pause here to say, I think you should be lucky or consider yourself happy because what I was going—how do I describe what it would be like if God became man? What, how can I describe that? Well, I, I, I was looking at pictures of larvae and like um, uh, bugs, you know, just kind of squirming around. But I thought, you know, it would kind of ruin uh, after, after church lunch for all of you and so I didn't show that but could you imagine if you think of like insects or just some kind of detestable bug and that you became one of them to save them and even then it doesn't come close does it but because of his great love he was willing to do that he took on human flesh he emptied himself and that's what the scriptures tell us it talks about God the Son emptying himself. This word emptying himself is called the kenosis. It's, It's the act of emptying himself of his divine privileges. Now I don't want to get too wrapped around the axle here talking about kenosis, about what he gave up. The scripture is very clear that it says in Philippians who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And then it says in Colossians, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. So while he emptied himself of his divine privilege, he still retained the attributes of omniscience, omnipotence, the godly attributes of who he was. But he willingly gave up some of his divine privileges. God becoming human flesh. I scarce can take it in. Now, then we see why he really came, and it touches on what what Zechariah said and what Micah says, as Jonathan had read, brokering the peace, and that's why the second candle in this Advent season is called the candle of peace, the Bethlehem candle. And if you remember, you've heard this. We we've sang this this morning in in, uh, in our hymn, "Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests." The reason I highlight this this is in Luke two fourteen, and this version that I chose is the NIV version, and the NIV has been accurate in. Describing the words, and I'm going to contrast that with maybe what the King James says. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The peace of God and the goodwill of God is to those upon whom his favor rests. It's not like, okay, everybody, I'm good with you, and, you know, you we're all in. No, the favor of God is extended to those who have made peace with God. And that's the important thing about this passage, speaking that God's favor resting upon those in whom his favor rests, his forgiveness rests. One of my favorite Christmas songs is, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I'm certain you are. It's, It's a great favorite. It was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in 1863. If you're familiar with your history, in 1863, what was going on? But the Civil War, in the heat of the Civil War, and the bloodshed and the loss of life on both sides was astronomical. And so Wadsworth writes this poem that's been put into a hymn, and why I like it so much is because of its truthfulness. It's not pie in the sky. It's telling it the way life is. And God knows how life is. And this is what he says in that third verse. He says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Doesn't that describe our day? The hatred in our culture, in our society. Everywhere you look, you can't get away from it. And so here I'm speaking about peace and joy and happiness. And it's disconnect disconnect there. It just doesn't make sense because we know of all the heartache. But that's exactly why Jesus took on human flesh to deal with that heart, to deal with that hatred, to deal with that hurt. It's been said, if you want to uh, change the world, start with yourself. And not just superficially, not just um, on the outside, but experientially with God. I like what Romans says. It tells us, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you want to change the world, you want the world to be a better place, you start with settling peace in your own heart. Make peace with God. And that's what God in Christ did for us when he came flesh. And we have peace with God through Jesus. Now, I just want to explain how. Before you came to faith in Christ, and if you're apart from Christ today, you're basically raising your fist in rebellion to a holy, sovereign omnipotent God. You're shaking your fist in his face. That's called sin. It's rebellion. And we want to do it our way. Fortunately, God in his love and his mercy sent his son in an attempt to reconcile us to himself. In fact, if you notice, there's one hand coming from heaven and one reaching up. And that hand from heaven is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what makes Christianity unique from every religion in the world, is God reaching down to man. God reaching down to sinful man. Most world religions, I'm going to aspire to be better, I'm going to reach levels of consciousness, nirvana, higher levels of awareness that I'm going to work my way higher and higher on this one to get closer to God. It doesn't work that way. Never. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but what He did in Christ. That He's reaching down to us. And He reached down, He sent His Son to dwell among us to reach down and save us. And as we do, as we accept that reconciliation with the Holy God to be forgiven of our sins, then we can be restored. We can have peace with God. And as we have peace with God, we can then have the peace of God that we can walk with Him in in closeness, in intimacy, in relationship. He desires for us to do. We can be restored to Him. And the question that I have for you today is which Sets of pictures would illustrate your life. Are you still in rebellion to a holy God? Are you seeking a holy God to help me? Or have you been restored into a relationship, into a real relationship with him? And I hope it's the latter. This is one of the saddest verses in the Christmas story, and I'll close with this. From the passage we read today, it says there was no room for them in the inn. So they went to the manger, to the cave. And in Bethlehem there were rocky caves. That's where the animals would go when the weather would turn bad. And they laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so since the beginning of time, people have made excuses and have not allowed or made room for him in the end of their heart. They've kept him out. They've kept him out at arm's length. They've resisted him. They've pushed him away. And may that not be said of us. Come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for thee. We sing that we want Christ to be in Christmas. Tonight we're going to have a wonderful display of music We're going to experience the sights and the sounds of Christmas. And that's all well and good. I'm so excited about the hard work our choir has done. But let's not lose the big picture here. It's that, but it's so much more. God wants us to experience Him. To experience Him in fellowship, in intimacy, in walking with Him each and every day. And as we understand that what He wants... For us in our lives. Then we understand the perspective of what the cradle meant. That was the start of God taking on human flesh. Prophesied in the past, realized in the, in the, in, in uh, Bethlehem and playing out and we'll see next week in Calvary and in the kingdom. As we close that passage that, that, uh, Jonathan read and it said, and he will be our peace. From Micah 5.5. 5. He is our peace. And aren't you glad that we can have peace with God? And as we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God. We're going to close and just take this opportunity, our hymn of invitation. If you'd like to, if you're not certain where you are in this peace treaty, let me just say this. Make peace with God while you can. Because the terms of peace will cease one day. And then he's gonna come as judge. So if you're not certain where you are, you wanna make peace, be happy to, uh, do that. And, uh, then we'll, uh, if you have any needs that you'd like to pray for, we'll be happy to pray with you. So Jonathan, if you would please lead us in our hymn of invitation, please. Ed, do you have something that you wanna to announce to our body? Also, we've had one meet with our membership team. And uh, Jerry, if you'll come forward at this time while Ed will make his announcement and we'll present you to the church. Ed, would you like to tell the folks? Okay. Uh, Thank you for your overwhelming support of our budget proposal. Our vote was 60 yeses, 2 noes. Thank you for your faith. Thank you, Ed. And thank you for your able leadership. He's going to be our chairman of our deacons for another year. So keep him. And Edith in your prayers. Um, this is Jerry Forehand, and she has met with our membership team. And she has a, a fantastic testimony. And I hope in the course of your time with her that you hear it and that you're just amazed at God's work in her life and what a testimony she is to the, the grace and goodness of God. Um, but she has uh, the membership team. Has approved her and recommends her to your uh, for your uh, approval. What is your pleasure? Uh, she's moved, and is there a second? Second, all in favor, say aye. aye, aye. Well, that's fantastic. I think that was unanimous. And so, if you would, please come down and meet Jerry. Offer her the right hand of fellowship or big old hug, and that uh, we'll pray that God will use you mightily in our fellowship here, and we would be a blessing to you as you to us. So let's close our service, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for the Christ of Christmas and that humble cradle, that manger that you were willing to be laid in. Thank you for your emptying yourself to do that for us and that you want to make peace with us by your grace and forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Now we do pray that we'll keep this and cherish this in our hearts this Christmas season, not losing focus of what Christmas is all about. And Lord, we thank you for the redemption and the newness of life that you bring. We thank you for Jerry Forehand and what you have been with her and have been so faithful to her. We pray, Father, that we would be a blessing to her and that she would be a blessing to the saints here at Cash Eye. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.